This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the program. It is Thursday, November 2nd. Already, wow, going quick into the uh, seasons left and right. Not only the you know actual season, like fall and everything, but football season, basketball season, hockey season, underway, college football season, closer to the end than the beginning. Wow, things go quick. Last night, the Colorado Avalanche returned to Ball Arena after dropping two straight games by the identical 4-0 to score. Not exactly ideal. They did start as uh, we had guessed. Ivan Prosvitov in net, the backup goaltender acquired from Arizona now, just I, prior to the season. I, I, I'm, I'm going to call him the I man because I've heard it <laughs> both ways. Ivan and Ivan. Yes, um, I have too. Actually, um, I have to but, check this. Uh, one on he the was referred to as Ivan last night on the TNT uh, telecast. So I, I guess I'll stick with, uh, with, with that one. But uh, we'll call him the I man, and I think he was. Uh, uh, I can't remember who said it after the game. Maybe it was Rantanen that he was the best player on the ice uh, for either team. And I, I agree. He certainly was in the first period because the first period from the beginning of the game, maybe the first seven, eight minutes, uh, the Avs were on their heels a bit. The Blues came at them pretty quickly. Our friend Connor McGahee, who I I think does a terrific job uh, in uh, presenting the game, uh, as objectively as most any home as a home announcer can, and doing right. it solo by the and, way. For and the most he part. made a point. I was listening to him a little bit last night, and he made a point early in the second period, but not that early. Five or six minutes into the second period, and the Avalanche were still up two nothing at that point. He said they're playing a lot better than they did in the first period. Talking about the Avs, mm-hmm. and I thought, wow, that's the, you don't hear the home team announcer. In a two nothing game, with the home team leading, right? After one period, saying the second period they're playing better, but then I went back and watched a little more closely in the first period, and he was exactly right. They, St. Louis had the better of play for the first eight ten minutes. They did much as the Avs had the better of play in the first eight to ten minutes in Buffalo mm-hmm. on Sunday, and and it was the same sort of game, but St. Louis couldn't penetrate the backup goaltender getting his first start in an avalanche sweater. And when that happened, you were pretty confident that he was going to play well, one, and that the abs, once they got on the board, would find scoring a little bit easier than it had been for the 129 minutes and 24 seconds they spent without scoring a single goal, which is hard to believe, but that's the figure. And, I thought they were better in the second period. St. Louis made a little bit of a, a push at the end of the period, but I, I had no doubt going into the third period after watching the first two that uh, the Avs would win the game. And there there's certain games that are 2-1 after two, even home games, where you're not really quite sure of which yeah. team has the edge. Yeah, especially after it was but 2-1, they closed a little right. I thought Prozatov was clearly better than Billington. I thought a couple of the goals that Billington let in were were uh, bad goals. Yeah, uh, or Jordan Bennington. Jordan Bennington, Bennington, Bennington right. I'm sorry, thinking of Craig Billington. As I as uh, I pointed uh, out on Twitter last night, uh, Jordan Bennington, Bennington was not yeah. not particularly good last night, and Prozatov uh, Prozatov uh, was I thought particularly good. Yeah, last Bennington night. does a. a 
Billington. Uh, Bennington does Bennington. not have an, uh, uh, an L, but he got to take one on the way oh, out last he, night. He took one. The uh, Avalanche end up uh, kind of pouring it on in that. But an interesting one. I mean, each team shut out in a, in a period. The Avs 2-0 in both the first and third, and then the, the Blues punch back with yeah. that one goal in the second. But uh, uh, our own Anil Apira was over at the game. He was reporting on it as well and, and had an opportunity to, to grab Prosvitov a little bit and, and uh, put together a little sound from Prosvitov and Jared Bednar as well. You'll hear from Bednar uh, praising Prosvitov before we go back to hearing a little bit more from him. It sounded like this. Yeah, you know, I kind of, uh, I knew my job coming in here, right? Like, uh, they told me that uh, I had to be patient, you know? And I was, I've been uh, in a spot of the backup uh, last year a little bit, so I kind of know how to take it. I thought he had a good game. Yeah, I mean, um, solid. Made all the saves he was supposed to make and then some. I was coming in in this locker room, you know, uh, uh, lots of, I want to say, stars here, right? So it's... Uh, just great feeling to be around those guys, you know, and uh, when, when Makar have the puck uh, in your zone, like, you know, you kind of know, okay, we're going to break it out here. So that's, it's making it easier for sure. <laughs> yeah, it does it's make, always a comforting sight to see Kale McCarr with, with the puck. The puck. Yes. It does uh, make it easier. Yeah, he did a uh, nice job. And by the way, I did uh, check up the actual NHL pronunciation. Yeah. He's according to the NHL, so it is Ivan. Ivan Prosvitov. So we so. can call him the I-Man. Sure, yeah. Well, call sure, him the absolutely. And uh, look, that we're talking, it kind of looks like it, by the way. It's listed at 6'4", 175. Uh, yeah. String I mean, B. <laughs> yeah, it is a string B. Pardon me, 6'5", 175. Yeah. Um, but he was rather, you know, when you look at young goaltenders, he's 24. Uh, this is this wasn't his NHL debut. It no. was his Avalanche no. debut. But it's not as if he's played a lot. But, 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 this I, was I don't know if you caught only his 12th start in, in his career. He basically said, this is the first time I played in front of a big crowd. You know, they're yeah. using that college rink. Aren't they? Right, mullet. Yeah, Arizona. For Arizona. And, uh, you know, so he was at his 18,000 fans. I haven't seen that kind of crowd. Um, he was at, at he least was as a quiet in the net, which is important. I mean, especially when you see younger guys, sometimes they tend to overreact to shooters. He, he kind of was quiet. I thought so. Not a lot of And that's always movement. what I was taught in, in college when I was doing broadcasts. And I taught to NHL scouts between periods. Of all our I've, games. I've seen I've seen your uh, alter ego right. Doctor Zero before. Well, no, 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 no. I'm not I'm not talking <laughs> from a personal uh, philosophical standpoint when it comes to goaltending. But I ta- I talked to more NHL scouts during three years of St. Lawrence hockey, and since St. Lawrence hockey in that period was not very good, we sure as hell weren't talking about the game. So yeah. I I'd, I'd ask a lot of questions about. Uh, technique and and goaltending because i wanted to learn (laughs) uh, about the game and it it was the first time i had really covered it on an ongoing basis and you know i'm a college kid so i i see these scouts and i'm asking them questions and and the consensus was now goaltending was different back then the butterfly hadn't come into fashion Mm -hmm. for example this is a long time ago this is 45 years ago but consistently the best goaltenders i was told were the calmest. Not yes. a lot of wasted motion, not flopping like flounder around Which, which again, you saw, you saw Bennington do a little I bit in that Bennington game. I thought Bennington was frenzy. Which is what he does when he's frustrated. He yeah. starts kind of moving around a lot. But yeah, it, it's, it's quiet because there's a couple reasons. One, I mean, you're not having to go against your own momentum if you misread a, a skater or a shot. You don't have to try to recover from that. And the second is you're not giving any hints to the shooter. 
the, the less you move, the, the more you're not giving an, uh, an open net. You're not giving a spot for the shooter to shoot in general. You're more in control of that situation to a certain extent. And I thought he was good. I, in fact, there was only, I think, one time where I could see him even diving for a puck, and that's because in, in the third period, in the early going to the third period, uh, that there was basically a two-on-one rush, and he got out there and used that big frame, saw the shot was low, and just kind of sprawled and just yeah. kind of soaked it up. Yeah. And that was the absolute right move. He cut off the angle. He moved forward right. to, to, to go ahead and right. cut that angle off. And uh, he wasn't spectacular, but he didn't need to be spectacular. But he did need to be consistently solid and solid early, especially yeah. in which he oh, yeah. was. Because yeah. if he had not been, you could imagine a game at, in which, you know, we saw this not that long ago with the uh, Philip Grubauer at times that would let in an, an early goal for some reason, kind of a just a bad goal would happen. And, and in this case with the Avs kind of maybe gripping the sticks a little bit after losing 4-0 two times in a row. This thing being uh, 1-0 or 2-0 early would have been a very different game. As a, as a result, you know, he was steady, steady the whole game. I thought he, he was exactly what you want from your Avs backup goaltender. He was consistent. He was consistent in the way he played. He was consistent in the way he performed. He was consistent from period to period, regardless of the score. And you're not expecting Prosvetov to go out there and be Georgiev when he starts. But you are expecting him to give the Avalanche something consistent. And a chance to win. And a chance to win. And I think he gave them both of those things. Because, look, in an 82-game schedule, if you're going to have Alexander Georgiev fresh for the playoffs, I I think your backup needs to probably start 25 games. I looked like a guy who could start 25 he games. He did. 24 looked, or 25. I mean, it's one game. I get he, it. And it was only, his, like I said. But he was calm. And yeah. he, he did not appear nervous. Uh, he was not shaky. Uh, I, I think he played to his strengths. It, it, it appeared as if, if you were he to did, take the, he, the names and uh, numbers off, you would have thought that Bennington was the less experienced goaltender last night yeah. in the way he was moving around. He was more frantic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Prosvetov looked very calm, cool, and uh, controlled. Listen, and and that was a, that's a great sign Brandon for the Brandon and Colton, among others, were, were standouts for me. And um, now, Brandon, you know, I, first star of the game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously. Um, he was terrific. Yeah, <laughs> pretty obviously the number one star. And it was Ranton, the number one star, who said that he thought Prosotov was the was the key to the win and the best player on the ice. But um, you know, I know he mixes up lines. Bednar does, mm-hmm. and I listen. Scotty Bowman changed line combinations more than any other coach in the history of the National Hockey League. People used to knock Quinville when he was here when he did it. We had to do it because you had two or three guys who were stars, and the rest were middling players so you you couldn't put the two or three best players together you had to mix them up right and and spread them out i love mckinnon between lekkanen and Rand. i i I, do, I like that too. I, I i think listen lekkanen is as unselfish a player as we've seen uh and i, I imagine the most unselfish player in the league in many ways. But I think putting him on the second or third line is a luxury that you can't afford unless Landeskog were healthy. And then you could put him on the second line. I'd love to see them stick as much as possible with McKinnon, Rantman, Lekkanen, assuming that your scratches are only healthy scratches, 
and knock on wood, mm-hmm. that's where the Avs are right now. Even the two defensemen who we thought were questionable last night yep. both played and played well. Well, Byram scored. Byram scored a goal, played uh, almost 19 minutes, and McCarr played over 25 minutes and had two assists. It was tremendous. Uh, Gerard was paired with Byron. I thought that was the best I've seen Byron and Gerard together, a combination that I know we both sometimes yeah, I, I, I wonder uh, don't at times, but... feel great about. Right. But I, I thought both were plus two last night. I thought they were outstanding as a tandem. Uh, Gerard for 1941, Byron for 1843. Both killed penalties. Both played on the power play. And... The only fly in the ointment was Gerard missed uh, the empty net at the end and right. rang his shot off the post. Off the, off the, off the crossbar. But, and, and, I mean, you, you couldn't have done that if you tried. I mean, that's just the way you, it goes You could sometimes. try a hundred <laughs> times that and, shot and not in it. that situation and not hit the crossbar the way he hit the crossbar. It, it, so hard that it deflected out of play. It, it actually deflected almost to the second deck. I mean, it was so I, I, unbelievable. It was absolute rocketed and you, nails it square on. You could try on. that a hundred times yeah. and not do it. Yeah, So, but a, but a very good bounce back for the Avs. You know, I, I, after the the maybe the one loss you weren't really sweating at, I don't think you're sweating in any, in any regard anyway for the Avalanche, but two losses that which they didn't look good. Really no part of their team looked good. And in this one, uh, I don't know if they looked amazing, but they looked in control for the almost the entirety of the game after those first seven, eight wobbly minutes. And you get, again, performances, as you pointed out, from the two defensemen who missed practice the day before right. in McCarr and Byron. So that's a great sign. Prostatov gets his first start and looks very, very good. At, at least so I one, good backup one game in, looks like, okay, this guy could be your reliable yeah. backup that maybe one don't, out of every... Don't have to make a trade. Yeah, one out of every three right games, now. he can start, hopefully by the end of the year, and then you get a fresh Georgiev in the postseason, and if for some reason, you know, Georgiev has to miss a week or two, you can look at, oh, okay, he, yeah. you, can, you can work with this. That's a good sign. It's obviously one game, but it's a good sign. Uh, looking forward to seeing him again. And then... uh the line changes again, though. Interesting ones because you had Riley Tufty who who got his first start for the Avalanche. Um, I, I wasn't unimpressed, but I wasn't impressed. He no, was just kind of no, there. Yeah, he was there. And, and uh, Curtis he McDermott, eleven minutes, twenty eight minutes, kind of looked like uh, Curtis McDermott as a guy that he look. He's he he, was, he had four hits. He led the team in hits, but even on only on his five minutes five fifty four. But uh, he's definitely there as your reserve because it can play a little wing in a pinch. You can play on the defense in a pinch. Yeah. And that's why he's on the roster. But it's, um, I, I would have been intrigued to see Caleb Jones, who they called up. And I, I would well, have liked they, to have seen him. They called him up because they thought maybe only one of these two yeah. guys would be ready to play. And they both were. And, they were and that's both great ready. news. Um, uh, but I wouldn't mind seeing Caleb Jones uh, if there's any kind of injury. And even if, you know, you need to rest it, Jack Johnson here and there. Mm-hmm. You don't want him playing 82 games. Um, you know, and Jack Johnson played 14-37, and he played fine. I thought it was one of Manson's better games, and the ice time reflected that, 16-22. And he was up and down the ice. I, uh, I, I more like, aggressive I like in the Manson. offensive zone than you usually see. I did not love him. Manson in Pittsburgh or Buffalo. I did not love Manson in the in the two games they Let's lost, look at the team. but I liked him last night. Let's look at those two guys that ended up getting uh, – their their minutes cut. That would be Thomas Tatar, who didn't he was a healthy scratch, as right. well as Jonathan Duran. Now Duran's went started on the first line, had then been demoted. The minutes had gone down, minutes had gone down, minutes had gone down, and then didn't play at all. Line. 
Yeah, well, yeah. Started and was as a wearing a fourth line sweater in practice so the other day, as was to talk. It feels as if maybe we knew the leash was going to be relatively short with Duranis trying to kind of recover his career. It feels to a certain extent as if maybe the Avalanche have already decided, okay, we tried it, it didn't work. At the same time, maybe that's not entirely fair. I don't know that they've decided that. Uh, I think they wanted to see Tufty, and, you know, I, I don't think St. Louis is any longer a particularly physical team. There are only 27 hits in the game last night. I think the Avs had 14, the Blues had 13. The game did not strike me as uh, being uh, overly physical. Yeah. Nor did it devolve into there something was no belligerence no. on either side, which I think from time to time in the past there oh, has certainly, been yes. between these these two teams and and maybe Bettinaro is reacting to what you were so uh, uh vehemently uh, stating the other day about teams uh even when it doesn't appear to be uh out of bounds teams not afraid to take a run at some of the as best players and just having Tufty out there with McDermott just a reminder no you know there's not going to be any funny business we're certainly mm-hmm. not going to initiate it but if you even have a thought about running any of our stars, we, we've got these two guys here. And if it's a peaceful game, they're not going to play a lot. Uh, Tufty played 11 minutes, 28 seconds. Uh, 5.54 uh, was the ice time allotted for McDermott. Uh, but I want to say something in Duran's defense, okay? Uh, one of my favorite metrics, and I think you like it too, uh, for Drouin with the Avs, when he's on the ice, 54% of five-on-five expected goal share mm-hmm. goes to the Avalanche. When he's on the ice, five-on-five, that's that's a good By the number. way, five-on-five thus far, that's even though it's a great start number. for the Avs, five-on-five has actually been where they've had the issues. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they've killed penalties. Great. Listen, mm-hmm. they have more shorthanded goals than they've given up power play goals. <laughs> yeah. Too. Right. Uh, so, you, but even in, even that. in this early going, you know, five on five has not been where you you the but goal scoring has not been what you'd expect. But, but and, and the Avs are aware of this. I'm not suggesting that they're not. Right. But but I I think some of the criticism I like Duran in Buffalo. I didn't think he obviously wasn't particularly good. No one was. But I, I liked him in Buffalo. He he made some crisp passes. He had a, a scoring chance or two. Uh, I thought the goaltending in Buffalo for the Sabres was sensational on Sunday. And, and I know Jari of Pittsburgh had a shutout, and he was good, but he didn't need to be as good as uh, the Buffalo goalie uh, needed to be on Sunday. And I, I thought Drouin was you know, more more of a victim of, of circumstances in, in getting uh, scratched as a healthy scratch last night, then then one of the problems, one of the reasons the Az were slumping, he wasn't playing on the first line. He was playing on the third line, and I thought, you know, it wasn't a great game for the third line, but I thought he was more effective, actually, than Colton Wood in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I understand why they're not going to bench Colton Wood. Colton's a center, uh, first yeah, of all. Right. And, and Wood can fly. And Wood was very good last night with O'Connor. So I think O'Connor actually helped Colton and Wood, even though he didn't show up in the score sheet. No assists, no goals. And the the other two did collaborate on the first goal that kind of broke 
the ice. But if if the Avs have a 54% uh, expected goal share, five on five when Druin's on the ice, <laughs> I can live with that. If that's his number for the year, I think he's had a good year. In contrast, for Tatar, 45.8. And, and that bears itself out. Goal share yeah. And only one shot on goal in eight games. So that I can understand. If you've been shut out twice, you're getting no offense from Tatar whatsoever. Now, I understand Tatar scored 20 goals before, and I think he may very well come around. But I didn't mind Tatar sitting, and I didn't mind seeing O'Connor moved up no. to the third line because I think he's earned the promotion. And he got almost 18 minutes of ice time last night playing on the third line, but obviously getting some chances uh, uh, on penalty killing where he's been the Avalanche best penalty killer this year to date. Um, and there hasn't been a bad penalty killer for the Habs this year. They've been great on the penalty kill, but he's been the most effective, in my opinion, among the forwards. If you look at the expected goals and then bring that out, of course, to an expected goals per 60 minutes, right? Uh, the idea of you know letting it go. And, that's, and I've, I've selected only guys that have played a, a full hour on the ice. So, little, you know, I'm not quite averaging 10 minutes a game, but need to get in all of them. Uh, Thomas Tatar is 17th out of 18 qualifying skaters for the Avs and expected yeah. goals per 60 minutes. Yeah. Druan is much higher than you might think. Well, 54. It's sixth. Johansson, Lekkonen, McKinnon, Colton, Wood, Druan, just ahead of Miko Rantanen. Now, I'm not suggesting. That's an equivalent of the the, the town level or performance. It's no, not, no. but the idea that there's been some bad luck for Druan a little bit. Yes, he's had an, he's, he's had a point taken off the it. board. Yeah. But the indications, at least when you look at some of the metrics, he's not playing that badly. So we'll see how Jared Bednar shuffles that around. Obviously, there's been some additions in this offseason. season. He's looking at the way to get it all settled out. And so far, look, they've uh, they won seven and they lost two. I think you're pretty satisfied with the results thus far. They'll be back at it uh, on Friday, of course. But the, uh, or pardon me, they will not be. They'll be back at it this weekend, as perhaps uh, Saturday. Now, uh, Georgiev well, gets a larger Bednar, than average a man break. of his word. He said if they gave Georgiev Wanted a break, five days they'd off. prefer it to be five days rather than just Assuming a day. Assuming he starts on two. Saturday, that's exactly what he'll, he'll get. The Denver Nuggets are off to a great start. They're still off to a great start, but uh, last night wasn't exactly part of it. We'll take a look at the Nuggets next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Well, the Denver Nuggets started 4-0 this season. They're now 4-1. Uh, they sort of laid their proverbial egg in Minnesota. And, of course, you know, I, I feel like a jinx. We had Ryan Blackburn from Miley Sports on yesterday, the host of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast. I actually asked him at one point, uh, is it a concern that things have been so effortless for the Denver Nuggets? And, and Ryan had, had pointed out they've been really locked in at the get-go, all, all of which I agree with. They just didn't really look like it last night. They fall 110-89 to 89 in a game that, quite frankly, might not have even been that close. It was basically over by halftime. The Nuggets only outscored Minnesota in the third period by two points. Otherwise, they were yeah. outscored by seven in the first. They were outscored by 12 in the second, and then even outscored in the fourth by four. Um, to his credit, Michael Malone kind of sensed it. 
and for most of the players, packed it in. I mean, Aaron Gordon, for oh, example, I only did. played 18 minutes last night. Right. Um, nobody, Porter only played 25. Nobody could shoot. Uh, Murray was 5 for 16. Porter, 2 for 11. Even Jokic, 11 for 23 for that him. That is not very a good. bad shooting night for Jokic. Yeah, 11 was just for 23 would be fine. The only guys people. that were better than, than, or at least at 500 for the night, uh, Christian Brown at 4 for 8. You have yep. to go to the bench where Justin Holiday and Jalen Pickett, rookie, went one for two along with Hunter Tyson. And otherwise, uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope <laughs> well, that was garbage, had but. two for four. Uh, other one just and, and Gordon, two for three in his in his 18 minutes. Well, but, I mean, this was a spot where all five starters were negative double digits in the plus minus. It was just a bad game. And you know how uh, the Nuggets shot 18% from three. Yeah. I mean. Eight for uh, six for 30. And didn't even hit 40% on the night. I mean, just just, just, no, just one of those you're, nights. You're right. You're right. Uh, I, I will say this. I thought the. Defensive game plan that Finch came up with for the Timberwolves last night, uh, some of which we saw last year during the playoffs, some of the strategy, I thought it was excellent. Um, the, it, it, even the Timberwolves say that there's no right way to play Jokic. But fact of the matter is, uh, Jokic got his points last night. He averages 26. He had 25, 25 last 10 night. and 3 in 30 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Three assists. Mm-hmm. Lowest. To five turnovers. Lowest since last February in an 18-point blowout loss at Memphis, which has been kind of a house of horrors He's for the Nuggets. not often upside down in assist-to-turnover ratio, but, but he was last night. But he was last night. Yeah. He was last night. And... You know, you're talking about a guy who's averaging going in 26 and a half, 12.3 rebounds, eight and a half assists, and shooting 65%, and he shoots 11 for 20. I, I like, you know, Michael Malone said, I didn't, I didn't think our approach was where it needed to be. That team came out like they wanted to get some revenge and then followed that by pointing out, hopefully it's a reminder that we're going to get everybody's best every night, which I think is, yeah, a big part of the equation for the Nuggets. I would say also, I think they understand that. I, I don't think they've looked, they've looked like a team that sort of understands that. I don't know why uh, they just kind of looked flat, and it's it, it's okay. They weren't going to go eighty-two it, and zero. Put it that o- way. It, it's it's okay. the occasional sort of you know air going out of the balloon game well, is not the end am, of the world. As long as you don't stack them up. Yeah, wasn't that the fourth game in six nights? Uh, yes, I believe that is. Now well, it's, it's also the first of like a it. three games in four nights. So well, it I, I understand. Doesn't it, get a lot the easier. Schedule's a little compressed. I, I get that. Uh, yes, they played Friday, Sunday, Friday, Sunday, Monday, Monday Wednesday. Wednesday. Yep. Four and six. So my point being that if you're going to throw in a stinker, it's likely to come at the end of that stretch. More so now it's, than the beginning. It's of, kind of in the middle of, of it, stretch. though, because they have to get back well, at I, it on I, Friday I know, against but Dallas. I, I just, I, 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 I worried about the game. And worried is too strong. I, I thought last night, see, we have to remember, and I'm not a big fan of the Timberwolves. Uh, you said the game was over at halftime. Well, they thought that earlier in the week against Atlanta. They had the same lead, 19 yeah. points at halftime. Right. They ended up getting blown out. So uh, you, you could sense, and, and if there was anything disappointing about the night to me, it was that the Nuggets didn't really push, except for Murray a little bit with his scoring in the third quarter. They didn't really make a push. They didn't get closer than 13. And I, um, 
you know, I, and I think that conditioned the comment by Malone after the game. Okay, you you played a bad first half. Well, okay, but you'd expect them nineteen point deficit at the half. If you would ask me, I I said I I bet they can cut this. We down saw that it wasn't ten, maybe even nine or eight. Yeah. Now, now I don't think they're going to win, uh, particularly since Minnesota know uh, knows what uh, or knew what had happened a few nights earlier, but. I thought in the second half they they could have been better, and it, it was just it, it was a rough night all around. Uh, the bench was okay, but not as good as it's been, and the starters just got annihilated last night. And it, it's a tougher matchup when McDaniel's is in there, certainly, and Naz Reed can come off the bench and score sixteen points in nineteen minutes. And again, that's a bad matchup when he's coming off the bench and playing against your backups. In many cases, he's not going up against Jokic a whole lot. Boy, he was good again. I but mean, 16 points good. in 19 minutes. He's good. He is. I'm telling you, he's, he's, a, he's, he's an outstanding a player. beast. And he wasn't even drafted. That's shocking to me that he was not drafted. Well, Jokic, he same came thing. out after but, one year and he wasn't drafted. But the difference between Jokic, well, Jokic of course, got and, drafted, and, though. Well, you're correct. You're correct. And the difference between uh, and, and Nasri came out of LSU. It's not like you didn't see that. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's not program. like you never saw him play. Right. And. So, listen, Gobert and Towns were good last night, and part of Finch's game plan is to put Towns, who, as we all know, is not known for his defense, but put him on Jokic, and this is the best way to maybe once in a blue moon Mm -hmm. neutralize Jokic. You've got to make him guard. You've got to make him move, and you got to make him guard. And Towns has some range offensively, and he also has decent post moves. And last night was a good night for him uh, in all aspects. He was a good passer. He scored 21. He had eight rebounds. He only turned it over once. He was plus 22 in 31 minutes, and Jokic was minus 19 in 30 minutes. He was good last night. And when they can put him on Jokic straight up, you give Gobert the defensive assignment on Gordon, let's say. Well, Gordon didn't get involved last night. The Nuggets weren't really good offensively. So Gobert can freelance and play free safety. And we saw some of that, some of that in the playoffs last year. And actually, it was reasonably effective. Remember, Jokic, in the closing game five, shot eight for 29 in that particular game. And that was one of those games where Gobert was in And Gobert had one of his blocks, I believe, last night, one of his two against Jokic, when he was just roaming and, and, and in the basket area and was able to get to Jokic, who was well defended by Towns, and Gobert swoops in and blocks uh, the shot. And... Listen, Connolly and uh, Connolly and Edwards were were terrific. Uh, McDaniel's is an exceptionally good defensive player. I don't know that he's defensive player of the year material. Um, I don't think Gobert is either anymore. But it's not, uh, with the exception of Towns, you know, Gobert and McDaniel's are pretty good defensive well, players. You, you bring especially up an if you let Gobert freelance. When you talk about the that that the way it works defensively in Minnesota. And I, I guess I compare and contrast that to the Lakers, right? Well, a lot of those great defensive 
big man, and I'll, I'll include Anthony Davis in that too. They like doing what Gobert's doing. They'd rather freelance. They'd rather play the exactly. passing lane. Exactly. They'd right. rather go ahead and get those long arms into the passing exactly lane right. and then be ready to swoop in for a block. The difference is by putting Towns on Jokic, you can free up Gobert to do that. For the yes. Lakers, they don't have no. anybody, so no, Davis really has don't. to do it. No, and you can tell that in Davis's case, it makes him wildly uncomfortable. Yeah. He's trying he to play that passing lane. Yeah. He doesn't want to guard him one-on-one. No. And he doesn't want to put in the extra work no even offensively when Jokic is on him. And Jokic is not known as anybody's a shutdown type defender. But it's, it's sort of odd because when they play against the Lakers, the, the trick against Anthony Davis is to make him work. And the difference between behind Jokic is Jokic, you can get him fatigued a little bit. Or he might press and try to make a, a pass that's maybe a little too fancy or a little too tight. And we see that at times when Minnesota's on him. In the case of Anthony Davis, you have to work too hard. He just kind of quits, bolts. Yeah. Like we saw in the second well, half we saw in the second of the half. opener. Yeah. But uh, it, it, this that's kind of the interesting spot. What Minnesota can do defensively against the Nuggets is legitimate also sort of not duplicatable. They may be the only team that can actually do it yes. because of the composition of their rosters. And yes. that also includes McDaniel as part of that front. Oh, line. no doubt. I, I mean, he's one of those string beans, 6'9", 185. But uh, you look at their team, it's at least on paper. And I think Finch is a pretty good coach. But on paper, boy, they, they're impressive. McDaniel's first-round pick, late first round, albeit, but first-round pick. Gobert, first-round pick. Towns, first-round pick. Number one overall pick, in fact. Uh, Conley, fourth overall pick. Now, that was back in 07. He's 36. Still going, though. Edwards, overall number one. So, in the starting lineup, they have two overall number one picks in Towns and Edwards. And coming off the bench, you have a first-round pick in Kyle Anderson, uh, who was chosen actually by San Antonio out of UCLA back in 2014. Reed is a free agent. Hard for me to believe that nobody drafted him uh, in 2019. Uh, Alexander Walker, a first-round pick, went to Brooklyn, 17th overall. And uh, Shake Milton uh, played a little bit last night, and he's a second-rounder drafted by Dallas. But that's uh, a pretty, that's a pr- but, pretty but deep that, bench that's, talent. That's, that's a good bench. Yeah, it is. They've got Anderson, Alexander Walker, Reed, and, and Milton uh, were all good last night. Uh Anderson at 25 minutes. Let's see. Uh, Reed had 19. Milton had 18. And Alexander Walker had 21 minutes last night. So it, it was, they had the luxury of being able to play their bench a lot because they got the lead. And the starters were, were exceptionally good. And it was just one of those nights. Their starters are better than Denver's starters. That's not going to happen more than maybe 10 to 12 times over 82 games where the Nuggets lose the battle of the starters, so to speak. Well, you might not have seen that coming, but you don't really have to with the latest promotion from Superbookies. You can refer a friend and earn a $50 bonus this season with Superbook Sports. Superbook is the most trusted name in sports wagering, and you don't want to miss their refer a friend bonus. All you need to do is click on the refer a friend link under your profile in the Superbook app, share that promo code with your friends, and then you get $50 in bonuses for everyone who registers using your code. So win money wagering and win money referring. That's right. You can win it that way, too, this season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Uh, 
the basketball world, both pro and college, sort of reeling from significant losses in the last couple of days. Uh, we will talk about uh, the passing of Bobby Knight, of course, and that rather complicated legacy. And then a sad news today, former Denver Nugget, among other teams, Walter Davis also passes away. I can Great still Walter envision that uh, that jumper in my head. We'll talk about next, and uh, we'll definitely have some things to say about both of them next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Obviously, uh, reeling from a couple losses and such a complicated one. And I mean, it, it's always um, it's always difficult when you have some of these all-time greats that that pass. And of course, you know, I'm always thankful to have you you at my side here, Sandy, to talk about this because you have a perspective in which I don't think anyone else in this town uh, has. But Bob, yesterday, Bob Knight passed away at the age of 83 a very a complicated legacy left behind the the accomplishments are at least on the court you that's know, the easy stuff that's with Bob Knight. that's easy that's uh, the there's, there's no question about that three national titles of course uh at, olympic at, gold and indiana mm-hmm. olympic gold um you know the, the last team uh, five I'm not mistaken, to have had an unbeaten season yeah <laughs> that's and, right um that's right and i doubt at least in our lifetimes, than anybody else will ever go. I, I do, too. Kentucky came close, won 38-0, and I read a great piece on John Calipari last night on The Athletic. I mean, it's going through the night stuff, and uh, an attended piece was a, a good, long takeout piece on Calipari, and many around Calipari believe he has never been the same since losing to Wisconsin. I know about that game because I was there, hmm. and I watched it. A 38-0 Kentucky team that should have lost to Wisconsin the year before and should have beaten Wisconsin at the same stage of the tournament. The next year, when Kentucky was 38-0, Kentucky was actually better. Wisconsin was better the year before, and Kentucky upset them. They say Calipari's never gotten over that game, losing that game. I I remember it like it was yesterday. They had a four-point lead with five minutes to go. They're in total control of the game, and they started running this – two-circle offense that's kind of the equivalent now of four corners, what four corners used to be. You can't you can't do four corners with a shot clock, but it, it, two circles is kind of an offense that's designed to, to keep the ball away, eat up the shot clock. And, and they sat on a four-point lead with five minutes to go. Wisconsin's not a fast-paced team. And Wisconsin ended up beating them. They say he hasn't recovered from that loss. And um, the, the one of the stories I heard in reading uh, about Bob Knight last night that I hadn't heard told before, and I, I probably read it and just forgot it. Um, they win the national championship with an undefeated season in 1976. But Bob Knight always felt the team the year before was better, except Scott Knight, uh, May got hurt. Scott May got hurt uh, like in February of that year. And he tried to play with it. He broke his arm. I think it was his left arm. It was not his shooting uh, arm. But he really wasn't effective. And they lose to Kentucky, coached by Joe B. Hall, in the national tournament. And so they had one loss. 
74-75. They come back 75-76. They win every game. And they're leaving the floor. And uh, one of Knight's uh, good friends in the sports writing business uh, out of uh, uh, out of Bloomington uh, goes up to Knight, congratulates him. Boy, that that's just great. Undefeated season. And this is Bob Knight in a nutshell. It should have been two in a row. Not just two national championships in a row. Two undefeated mind. seasons. Two undefeated seasons. Back to back. And he was brilliant. Yes, he had good players, but if you're looking for all-stars, you wouldn't have found them. NBA all-stars. You would not have found them on either the 74-75 or 75-76 That was how good a coach he was. And unfortunately, about 11 years later, right after he won his third of three mm-hmm. national titles, it began to get away from him. And he became far better known in his last 20-plus years, both at Indiana and yeah. Texas Tech, for his outburst and that's, than he did for his coaching. That's what I knew him which about. Which is too bad. That's really what I knew about. You know, I, as I as I got older and studied a little bit, as learned, learned about the history, of course, uh, he also won as part of Ohio State in 1960. Only two, two uh, people have ever won the national championship as a player and a coach. The yeah. other, Dean Smith, as it turns out. Who, right, won at uh, Kansas. Ended up that Bob Knight broke his record, which held yeah. until Mike Krzyzewski right. broke right. it. That's right. And Krzyzewski, uh, by the way, was recruited by Bob Knight. He so was. Not, I mean, this Army. is a. It, it ends up being a pretty, but remarkable you know, legacy, but it, a complicated one. And one ended. You know, the, the outbursts are one thing, and then it kind of it ended at, at Indiana after he had uh, choked a player at Neil Reed at practice in '97. Yeah. That was not the end of his career. He went over to Texas Tech, where he had quite a it was, uh, quite a bit of success at Texas Tech, but it was yeah. considered a significant, at least okay. at the time, a, a significant demotion. You're going from Indiana, one of the crown jewels. Yeah. To Texas well, Tech. he made Sweet 16 one time, which was better than he had been doing at Indiana mm-hmm. at the end. And it was time for him to leave. He stayed too long in Indiana. And, uh, you know, that's that's a whole story in and of itself. But d- the, another story that stuck out for me um, has been kind of suggested the, of how Knight presented himself. He had a player who played on that 76 championship team who later went into coaching, uh, Jim Cruz, I believe. And he was coaching in Indiana, but at a lesser school. And on the recruiting trail, Knight's assistants tell him, you got to come see this Calvert Chaney. Uh, Oh, he can play. So Knight shows up, and it happens to be a bad night for Calvert Chaney. And Knight goes off on his assistants. Why are you wasting my time bringing me all the way down here to watch this kid? This kid can't play. Fast forward about five months. Cheney shows up at some kind of camp. And they're, you know, scrimmaging them, maybe playing some intra-squad games. And the real Calvert Cheney shows up in, in that environment. And Knight looks at one of his assistants and said, why haven't we been recruiting this guy? And the assistant says, coach, you, you told us not to recruit him anymore. You saw him play five, six months ago. You didn't like him, and you told us to stop recruiting him. 
Jim Cruz had recruited Calvert Cheney, and Calvert Cheney had committed to Jim Cruz School. Jim Cruz and Bob Knight, close friends, player on the 76 championship team, longtime Knight assistant. And so they recruit Calvert Cheney, who changes his mind and goes to Indiana. And Jim Cruz goes up to Bob Knight and says, if another coach did what you just did to me, you would rip that coach for being unethical. Knight's response, you are nothing in basketball without me. There was an imperiousness. That, that was Bob Knight. And the response from Cruz was perfect. And it summed up the reason that a lot of Bob Knight's relationships, including with Shashevsky, went bad at the end. He said, you know the problem with you, Coach? You treat your enemies better than you treat your friends. And that was always true because Bob Knight couldn't control his enemies. And oftentimes, not always, he treated his enemies better than his friends who he felt should always be subservient to him. And it's unfortunate because in the lead paragraph of AP's story about Bob Knight's passing last night, there should have only been mentioned if he had been able to control himself, should have only been mentioned uh, all his accomplishments. That should have been the only thing mentioned in the lead paragraph. Instead, and quite properly, his outbursts were in the lead. And I'm thinking, what a shame. And they would have what obliterated any other coach, but his, his on-court legacy was that strong that it didn't. And and it, it, it's it's a it's a it really is. I, but, I look at it that way too. I kind of look at, at Bob Knight as a give whatever accomplishments you'd you'd like, and, and they certainly were. But I th- I think you summarized it very well. It's the way I I didn't get to see the era that you did, and I I got to see the era of someone who I was told was great and amazing. And I never seemed to understand it because you couldn't find too many people who seemed to like the guy. Couldn't seem to find a way that got himself in trouble with Calvert Cheney. Got an, an issue that appeared to be somewhat racially charged back yeah. in 92. I mean, uh, it bad situation. Calvert Cheney actually generally got along with Bob Knight pretty well in spite of, in spite of that incident. And that, that was Knight trying to be one of Knight's problems. Tone deafness was, entirely. Was he thought he was funny yeah, when he wasn't. Not, he was just mean. Right. And his sense of humor was never self-deprecating. Never. Dean Smith's sense of humor was, at times, self-deprecating. Yes. And Dean Smith was fairly imperious himself. Much like Mike Krzyzewski, who also had a rather self-deprecating sense of humor. He did. And that smoothed out some of the rough edges. Bob Knight was not interested in doing that. And I'll just say one more thing quickly. If you want to read, and these are at various sites, and I want to get this right. If you want to read about Bob Knight and understand him, read Seth Davis at The Athletic. Read Jay Billis at ESPN.com, mm-hmm. who actually formed a friendship with Knight that was much closer than Knight's with Krzyzewski at the end. In fact, Billis tells some funny stories about that whole thing. He always knew when Knight and Krzyzewski weren't getting along, because Knight would say to Billis, who was a longtime friend and golf partner and so on, how Krzyzewski. But when Knight would ask Billis, how's Mike doing? Have you talked to him lately? He knew that was one of those periods where they were getting along. 
pretty well. But anyway, read Billis, read Seth Davis, read Bob Ryan and the Boston Globe on Bob Knight, and definitely read John Feinstein, the great uh, John Feinstein in the Washington Post today on, on Bob Knight. I, I remember talking to John Feinstein for the first time right after Season on the Brink came out. Uh, John and I have known each other uh, for almost 40 years. Since that time, I was one of the first people who had him on after the book came out, and he was great with me. And uh, we'll try to get John on the program next week, maybe, uh, to, to talk about Bob Knight. But four wonderful columns, Billis, Seth Davis, John Feinstein, and, uh, of course, Bob Ryan of the Boston Globe, who had uh, a very interesting relationship over many years with Bob Knight, uh, at times uh, rocky, but at times very collegial. We will talk more about uh, uh, Walter Davis's passing as yes. well later in the program, but the opportunity uh, exists because, by the way, uh, you might, might have snuck up on you. The Colorado high school football playoffs in certain levels start tonight, let alone yeah. getting going this weekend. So yeah. from coloradopreps.com, our friend Dan Mormon will join us to talk about all of the latest in the local high school prep scene with the playoffs getting underway well, basically momentarily all over the Rocky Mountain region. We'll have Dan join us next on Miley Sports.